afternoon, seven investors, and welcome to the Monday edition, the post wildcard weekend edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm the host of the program. I am being joined today by Simon Erickson. Simon, how was your weekend? Oh, fantastic, Dan, especially the part seeing my Saints win their wild card game, now playing up against the Buccaneers. Breeze against Tom Brady next weekend. Couldn't get any better than that. It, uh, it beat the alternative had either of those teams lost. That would not have been a fun weekend. Simon, normally I like to chit-chat at the top. We are not going to do that today. We have a special guest and a special announcement. As we make this announcement, Simon's going to interview our special guest for a few minutes. We would love your questions. After Simon talks for five, seven minutes with our special guest, I've got some questions, but we want your questions. Wherever you're watching, share them in the comments, and hopefully we will get them. Simon Erickson. Thanks very much for the tee up on that, Dan. And like you said, big announcement this morning. But to give some background first, you know, we get asked a lot about seven investing and what it is that we like to cover in the stock market. And I think that we're covering some really innovative stuff right now biotechnology and genomics, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, digital payments. We're really digging into finding the companies at the forefront of all of these curves. But there's a question that keeps coming up that we never really had a really detailed answer to. And that is, what do you guys think about Bitcoin? What do you think about cryptocurrencies? And while we've kind of answered this in terms of what it means for the stock market, I've put myself on a somewhat of a quest these past six months to a year to find a company that I really respected and really trusted to answer that question about cryptocurrencies. And so today, I'm very excited to, to announce that we, I found that company. The name of the company is Crypto EQ, and we're going to be announcing today the very first step in a long-term partnership between Seven Investing and Crypto EQ. And we'd like to welcome the founder and CEO of Crypto EQ, Spencer Randall, to our live stream here this morning. So, Spence, thanks for joining us for Seven Investing Now. Morning, Simon. Morning, Dan. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Spence, this is a we're going to talk a lot about Bitcoin. I want to ask you about the price action of Bitcoin. I want to ask about how you value Bitcoin in the first place. But let's start at the 10,000 foot level first. Um, tell me a little bit about Crypto EQ and what it is you're hoping to accomplish with your organization. Well, thank you, Simon. Uh, when you think about Crypto EQ, I think a nice analog would be what you do at Seven Investing. So before I was a cryptocurrency investor and trader, uh, I was trading stocks and investing in indices, much like your audience. And so when you venture out to you know, invest in, in stocks, you know, it behoove you to uh, do your diligence and you know, have sound research, either research that you're going to do yourself or uh, tools that you can invest in. Um, so I think it's a really good principle to match whatever investment you're going to make uh, with uh, your own time and doing your own research or uh, leaning on tools like 7investing.com or CryptoEQ.io uh, to help further uh, your potential returns and your understanding of the market. And so when you try and wrap your head around things like Bitcoin, things like Ethereum, and the thousands of other crypto assets that are out there, uh, it behooves you to have a tool uh, that you can lean on and kind of lead you into this market and shepherd you into this market. So that's the idea behind CryptoEQ.io is how can we help people responsibly learn about cryptocurrencies? I love that mission. I love that you, you say upfront cryptocurrencies are complex. 
we want to simplify this. We want to make this understandable for people to actually learn how to invest in them. And I certainly am a believer in cryptocurrencies. Um, I think that there is a long-term trend that we're in the very early innings of with this. So if you have questions, please submit them in our live chat. Dan's going to get to questions for Spencer that you submit in a minute here. But I'd like to key you up with a couple myself first, Spence. Uh, and I'm also going to leave the really hard questions for our podcast because you and I are going to chat even more in detail about this for tomorrow. But, you know, a lot of what I'm reading about with cryptocurrencies seems so speculative. You know, we see people making statements that Bitcoin's going to $100,000 or Bitcoin's going to zero or something that doesn't really have any thorough analysis behind that. Um, one thing I really like about CryptoEQ is that you actually do the homework. You actually are doing some very thorough analysis into digging into crypto. How do you value Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? Sure. Uh, Simon, just like uh, equities, uh, there's three kind of market uh, pillars that we look at. Fundamentals, uh, sentiment, and technicals. Uh, so at CryptoEQ.io, you could see all three uh, aspects of market analysis wrapped into one dashboard. Uh, so we look at a lot of the similar principles that you would look at in equities. But of course, uh, there needs to be nuance for cryptocurrencies. Uh, so when you talk about fundamentals specifically, because I think that uh, that'd be most interesting to your audience, more of a, a long-term investor mindset, uh, we've devised a core rating framework that has 10 points. And so every crypto asset that we think about, that we rate, that we evaluate, we run through a standard 10-point framework. Uh, so that could be anything from the team who's comprised of the team, you know, who's who's working on this project, what's the quality of that team, to the governance model, which is something that's unique to cryptocurrencies, the tokenomics of the project, uh, what's the rate of issuance, for example. Uh, we even get into regulatory concerns around the project. Uh, so when you look at things like Ripple and XRP, the big headlines with their lawsuit, uh, the SEC's filed a lawsuit against them, for example. These are things that we uh, you know, foreshadowed, uh, things that we were concerned about. Um, so uh, you can see that when we're evaluating the long-term quality of the asset uh, with things like XRP, uh, we're more concerned. Uh, but things like Bitcoin, we've held at a gold rating uh, since inception of the website. That's a, a yeah. tangible example of how we, we wrap our head around each cryptocurrency is our core rating framework. It's fantastic. I love this framework. You know, we've gotten so used to discounted cash flows or multiples and all these other quantitative ways to value equities. I'm loving that you're putting something together for cryptocurrencies. My, my next question, Spence, I have to ask this one because it's a question I get asked on a weekly basis. It makes you incredibly popular at cocktail parties if you know the answer to this one. But Bitcoin itself is going through the roof, right? The, the price of Bitcoin is up, what is it, over 300% during the last 12 months now. A lot of people are starting to ask, is this a bubble? Is this a long-term trend that's just getting started? What is your take on the price of Bitcoin right now? Yeah, <clears throat> when Simon, when you and I first came together, uh, we were at the base of what I was calling a, a larger bull cycle. Uh, so that, that was kind of mid-year last year. Um, so, you know, you hit it on the head. We're up almost 300% on a one-year chart. Uh, and again, I, I'd say we're still early in this bull cycle. Um, so when you look at uh, the fundamental models around price action in Bitcoin, so things like the stock-to-flow model, this is something that has been used for commodities like gold, silver, and platinum for years. Uh, when you do that analysis on Bitcoin, uh, it looks like we're right on track 
so we had a pullback over the weekend. Uh, we've touched 30,000. We're finding some support at 30,000. Uh, I would say that at the value of 30,000 per Bitcoin, we're right on track. You could see us run up to 50, even 100,000 by the summer of 2021. So this year, um, but we are right on track as far as the stock to flow model is concerned. So I, I'd say $30,000 Bitcoin is fair market value right now. And we talk a lot about businesses and companies that are just now starting to learn about Bitcoin. We've seen MicroStrategy buying a lot of Bitcoin rather than just sitting on cash on their balance sheet. That has certainly rewarded that company's stock price in the last six months. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you're seeing with enterprises and the adoption of cryptocurrencies for commercial applications? Yeah, it's a great question. So when you think about what's happening right now, uh, a lot of people are saying it's different this time. So when you think about the previous bull cycle in 17 uh, that you know ended in 18, that was largely retail driven, uh, retail investor and trader driven. Uh, when people say it's different this time, they're talking about uh, institutions gaining ex more exposure to things like Bitcoin. Uh, and so if, if the retail is feeling like, you know, December of 17th, bubbly, frothy right now, the sentiment is exuberant. I feel like for institutions, we're still January, February of 17. We're still early. I feel like we're we're just having our thought leaders come in, people like Michael Saylor, who are really blazing a trail for a whole new persona for Bitcoin that, that didn't exist previously. Um, so we're seeing more and more news come out and an increasing percentage of Bitcoin locked up with institutions as opposed to early uh, adopters that are really you know, techie people at heart. Uh, tech-centric folks that are more retail investors and traders, we're seeing a whole new persona of crypto adoption uh, come in uh, with this current cycle. Yep. And then just one more question before I'd like to touch on a little bit of the details about our partnership here. But, um, how you know, this is a stock market investing live stream we have here. Um, we go after some innovative equities out there, but how should an investor think about investing in cryptocurrencies? We know that investing is a personal decision, so we don't want to give advice on what anybody specifically should do. But Spencer, how do you think about investing in cryptocurrencies, knowing that you're also a stock trader as well? Yeah, I, I come from a, a background of, of thinking about stocks and equities and indices. So I would use a lot of the same foundational principles you developed in the stock market. Um, if you're learning about a space, you start with your blue chips. So in crypto, you start with your, your Bitcoin and your Ethereum. And as you build up positions in these quote unquote blue chip cryptos and start to adventure out and think about uh, some of your smaller caps, um, I really encourage people to lean on our framework because it is a standard. It is kind of your compass, kind of your North Star. You can come back to our framework at any point in the year and know that the cryptos that we've added to the website have been evaluated by that framework. Uh, so it is a way to you know, really quickly get your bearings and uh, you know, quickly assess the long-term quality of any crypto asset uh, that we've taken a look at. Today, we cover you know, over 90% of the market by market cap and 35 cryptos. Uh, so, you know, there, there's thousands out there, uh, but it, it's a great place to get started. Yeah, and I definitely see this as a long-term developing trend. Um, Spencer, I, I've gotten the 
pleasure of getting to know you these last couple of years. I really respect the work that you're doing. I love the mission that you have for your company. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how people can ask you questions and also if they wanted to sign up for Crypto EQ, where they should go? Yeah. Um, the, one of the easiest ways to reach us is, you know, any major social media platform at Crypto EQ, um, you know, to commemorate the partnership and really kick things off. Uh, also, if you use the code seven investing, uh, on sign up, you get $10 off your first month. You know, so yeah, huge thank you to Simon and Dan for, for bringing us together. We're really look forward to working with you guys, uh, through 2021 and beyond. Um, at seven investing as a promo code, you can use it cryptoeq.io. Um, and then for you know one-off questions, our inbox is open, team at cryptoeq.io. Simon, let me jump in for a quick second. For anyone who's just joining us, we are talking to Spencer. He is the CEO of CryptoEQ.io. At the beginning of the program, Simon announced a partnership between our two companies. Simon. Why don't you tell a little bit, what does that partnership mean? Are we going to be having, uh, you know, group getaways? Are we going to be those cocktail parties you talked about that don't happen right now? Are we going to be doing some of those? What does this partnership entail? I'm ready, Dan. I'm actually looking to buy some 737 MAX planes so that we can actually all go down <laughs> to the Bahamas and hang out together when time allows again. Uh, thanks for the, the key up. Again, we're, we're talking We're talking with Spencer Randall, uh, who is his founder and CEO of CryptoEQ. His website is CryptoEQ.io. This is a company that's really dedicated to making sense of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and how people can approach investing in them. And so this is something that I've embraced at 7investing. I really think that Bitcoin is a long-term developing trend. I respect Spencer's research and I trust in the, the articles that I've read of his and what he's published. And so we're announcing a partnership today where not only are you going to see Spencer appear more often on our live stream and our podcast, but we've also got a promo code for $10 off anybody who signs up with Crypto EQ. And we're also going to be having some exclusive content in the future appear directly on 7investing. Uh, we think that this is a great complement to investing in the stock market. And I'm really excited, Spence, to have you here on the program. Dan, I'm going to hand it over to you now to take some questions that we're getting from yeah, the Spence, we're going to do this rapid fire. Spend 30 seconds, 45 seconds. If there's a question that makes no sense, tell me it makes no sense. None of us will be offended. I'm going to go in order so you can see the questions. I'm going to try to take basically all of them. Uh, okay. Stephen Henley says, what's the base value of Bitcoin? Uh, there is no base value, right? Am I, am I getting that wrong? Spence. Well, I think what Stephen might mean is kind of what's the floor in the current price action, right? So much through 2020. Uh, we traded around 10,000 with a nice run up towards the end of the year. Uh, so you know, personally, I would be surprised to see us uh, back below that $10,000 level uh, at any point in the next four years. Um, 20,000 is a question mark, right? Will 20,000 serve as, as support? You know, we've really been in price discovery for the past month. Um, you know, we've, we've broken into new all-time highs. Uh, we're certainly in uncharted territories as far as price action. Um, so I see strong support uh, at 10,000 and 20,000. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if 30,000 holds, but we'll watch the uh, price action through the week. Nasheed Shah asks, uh, and thank you for that, uh, what drives crypto pricing day to day? <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of uh, short term volatility. Um, so, you know, Emotions and markets is certainly amongst retail investors and traders can drive that volatility and froth. Uh, I will say that 
uh, with crypto, you can be in the market at any point, any day of the week. It's a little bit different. Uh, so it truly is a 168 hour a week market, uh, which can lead to more volatility. Um, so that's that's one thing to note. It's different than the uh, trading desk that you might be used to. I would also note the size of the market, right? So Bitcoin uh, still is not a trillion dollar asset. We certainly expect that to change in 2021. But the size of the markets that you're thinking about when you're looking at equities, uh, crypto is still very much early, expanding, growing. Uh, so you're looking at a smaller market as well. That uh, We've got a couple minutes left with Spencer. And then after that, Simon and I are going to talk about sort of the big story of the weekend. And that's big government Social media, big tech, uh, you may have noticed there was some news in that area. We're not going to talk about that news, but we are going to talk about government regulation. Spencer, lots of great questions here. Um, how do you recommend, and this is from Turf P, how do you recommend we manage risk uh, when there are 10% swings in a day? That's a great question. Yeah, so within, within the crypto asset bucket, if we're just talking about cryptos, uh, a lot of folks concentrate a majority of their holdings in the quote unquote blue chip cryptos uh, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, those have the longest price history amongst crypto assets. Um, so when you think about any kind of potential downside, uh, those projects have proven and that's Bitcoin and Ethereum have proven to be more resilient and have less downside risk. Uh, so for folks that are getting started in crypto, we like to see these blue chip cryptos dominate the, the positions and weightings within their, their crypto asset portfolio. So Spencer, do you have a recommendation on how much of someone's portfolio they should allocate to crypto? I know, uh, you know, you might be a little biased toward towards it, but I'm sure there's some risk factor involved. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, obviously this is not financial advice. Uh, but when I started, uh, I started with five to 10% of my assets in alternative investments. Alternative investments at the time were bullion and crypto. Um, so I think that you know if you're getting started and you feel like you've missed out, uh, you certainly have not. It's still early and uh, responsible, you know, five to 10% cap on uh, your, your total investable assets, uh, I think is, is a nice place to start. I, I do not recommend people take huge positions all of a sudden without taking the time and spending the money on quality tools to learn first. Uh, I would Spence, say the same thing about equities as well. Spence, as we're running out of time here, I'm going to paraphrase a question uh, from Pablo Martinez. Uh, basically, is your service for beginners, is it a place to start if I, and I know, I admit, I don't own any crypto. It's an area I've been scared of because I've had people explain it to me. So is this a place to go and sort of get the basics, make my first investment? Well, Dan, I hope that uh, spending more time together, we can uh, change that uh, and your crypto exposure might increase a little bit through osmosis. Uh, to the question, um, yes, this is a place uh, you can get started. You know, if you're on zero and you're not sure about crypto, we have a Bitcoin Basics ebook. Uh, you can find that in our reports section. Um, so anyone that, that signs up for a basic account, that's free. You just need to give us your email. Uh, we'll send you a link to an ebook. Uh, Bitcoin Basics ebook. So that's really, you know, that's really tailored to folks that are, are just learning about crypto and trying to understand why, you know, Bitcoin is, is one of the hardest, uh, soundest monies in the world. Um, and it can be a great store of value. So that's our Bitcoin ebook for folks that are, are ready to get started. 
Spencer, I'm going to ask you one last question and then let Simon finish up by sort of going over the partnership again. I know we're running up against time here. So let's say I wanted to get into crypto. I've always found it daunting, the idea that you can lose your your digital wallet and there's no way to recover it. I've lost like six cameras. Like So I, that, that feels to me like a bad idea. How does the average, regular, somewhat forgetful person get into Bitcoin what, or, or any crypto? What's sort of the safest way to do it? Yeah. Uh, so for folks that do not want to take on the responsibility of, quote unquote, being their own bank, there's a lot of uh, easy to use exchanges uh, at CryptoEQ. We list three exchanges that are great for U.S. customers. That'd be Coinbase.com, Gemini.com, and Kraken.com. So those are three top U.S. exchanges. They're all very secure, uh, very easy to use. Uh, the founders of CryptoEQ have all used those exchanges and recommend them. Um, so if, if you're worried about losing your private keys uh, um, and you're not ready to take on the responsibility of being your own bank, those are three options where you could safely store a small amount of funds similar to using an online banking system. I'm worried about losing my actual keys. So losing my digital keys would be a problem. Uh, Simon, there are a ton more questions here. I'm going to ask if Sam Bailey, if you could record some of those and Simon can ask some of them during his podcast, unless that's already been recorded. Simon, I'll give you the last word here. That is perfect. This is something we're really excited about. You know, our mission at Seven Investing is to empower you to invest in your future. I think that there's a ton of innovation going on with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I couldn't be more excited to be working with Spence and his team at Crypto EQ right now to help us make sense of what's going on out there. Uh, Spence, I get to ask the last question here. What country does Satoshi Nakamoto live in? He, she, they, uh, it could be anywhere in the world. Uh, the, the brilliant minds that, that invented the Bitcoin network um, also uh, are great at staying anonymous. So, so we, we truly do not know where they are or who they are. Um, okay, I'll keep your your identity anonymous for the time being, Spence. Don't worry, we won't <laughs> reveal that until at least a year from now. But hey, thanks very much for being on our 7 Investing Now live stream this morning. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Larry Ulsh, David Strauss, Mark Hammer. Lots of great questions in the queue. Uh, we appreciate it. Wow, Simon, we promised big news. We delivered we big news. I'm so excited, Dan. I'm so pumped about this. I mean, there's so much, in it. like we said, there's just so much to be gained for investors in this. I can't wait to see what Spencer publishes, not only for, for us, for Seven Investing, for our content, but we're going to have him a lot more often on our podcast, including tomorrow afternoon's podcast. Looking forward to that one. So this is one of those cases, and, and we're going we're gonna to seg into promo mode a little bit. So for those of you who are seven investing subscribers or those of you who would like to be, here's what happens. The seven of us are experts. We all have different areas we cover. We like to think we expand that expertise by, in a normal world, going to trade shows and going out and meeting with industry leaders and doing these shows and all that. But there's some areas where we're just not, the seven of us are just not going to be the experts. So as it becomes obvious that our membership wants some expertise, we're going to go get that expertise. And that could be, you know, having someone to talk about insurance on the podcast as a one-off. Uh, that could be having a recurring guest, like I I'm having the uh, the head of the American Customer Satisfaction Index on uh, for the second time in the, the next coming weeks. Or it could be a deal like we just made with Crypto EQ uh, that's going to be pervasive and it's going to sort of give us that expertise on our website for our members. So Simon, if people would like to join 7investing, um, don't hand me $7 on the street. That doesn't help. I mean, do it if you like, but that doesn't help. How do people join 7investing? 
Seveninvesting.com slash subscribe is how we get new subscribers to join our own platform. In fact, if you use the promo code CryptoEQ, you actually get $10 off of our site as well. This is a two-way partnership. Uh, so that would be an even better way to get $10 off right now if you want to. Like I said, Dan, you know, innovators in the field looking for some innovative companies out there and what that's going to mean for stock market. So for those of you who did not see the big announcement, we appreciate you joining us late. Uh, we have partnered with CryptoEQ to uh, to give us uh, cryptocurrency Bitcoin expertise on our website. If you want to see the whole interview, this show replays wherever you are. It replays on YouTube. It replays on Twitter. Follow us at 7investing on Twitter. That is a great place to just watch the show, listen to the show. It also uploads as a podcast pretty quickly after. So make sure you've signed up for the 7investing podcast or sign up for our YouTube channel or pretty soon we're going to be on LinkedIn. We are not there yet, but we are working on it. Now, Simon, it is time now, for what we're watching. What, what, if I could put in just one more plug. Go ahead. His team. You know, Spence is a guy I've gotten the pleasure of knowing for several years now. And uh, he is just putting a foundation for, for objectively, how do we analyze cryptocurrencies, right? Like we see so many news articles that are just saying, oh, Bitcoin's up to 20,000 or 30,000 now. Or speculating, oh, it's going to be worth 100,000 at the end of the year. But there's no fundamental reason why some of those claims are being made. And Spence, I know years ago, was in the meetups of Houston talking about this new thing that was that was cryptocurrencies when there were only four people in the room, right? And now you've got you know auditoriums full of people at those same meetings. Well, not recently, but there, before COVID, there were very large rooms of people getting interested. He's at a foundational knowledge of what's going on out there. And I really enjoy hearing his opinion. And I'm really excited to see what, what happens with this partnership that we have just announced this morning. Very excited to see where this is going and all the, uh, you know, look, crypto is something I dismissed as, hey, I don't understand it. There's lots of good places to invest. But if you have expertise like we can get through Crypto EQ, it might expand your ability, your places to invest. And this is net. Cryptocurrency is never going to be a big part of my portfolio, but could it be 5% of my portfolio and surprise me and, and make a lot of money out of nowhere? Uh, I can't make that bet, but just like I look to uh, Manisha and Max for, for biotech stocks, I am more than happy to look to Spencer's team for advice on crypto. But Simon, we're going to seg to what we're watching, and we're going to do something a little bit tricky. We, we are no politics. We try not to betray whether we're left or whether we're right, because frankly, we're actually complicated people, and we all pick from, from different parts of every basket. But we don't really talk about politics here. But we're going to talk about the reality, the really difficult problem facing governments around the world about regulating big tech. There is an enormous amount of power in Twitter, Facebook, Google, Amazon. Uh, and we saw it in a couple of ways this weekend. This is bigger than banning any one person. But we saw the president of the United States get banned on Twitter, get get banned on other platforms. We saw uh, Parler, which is a sort of unregulated version of Twitter. That's putting it kindly, uh, trying not to be too political here. Uh, they were effectively put temporarily out of business because Amazon said very quickly, uh, we're not going to let you be on our, our AWS platform. We don't want to host you. And they defended those reasons. But right now, Simon, this is a bit of a free-for-all. There's no standard. There's no base. It's kind of like, uh, you, you know, what is pornography? I'll know it when I'll see it, as, as has famously been said. I'll let you kick off here because you're the CEO and you can go, you can't fire yourself. So go ahead. <laughs> well, we, we don't want to tiptoe too much about this, Dan, because it is a really important issue, right? Like look at the three A's, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet together are valued at a market capitalization of $5 trillion. That's larger than the GDP of Japan, Dan. 
which is the third largest economy in the world right now. So there's a huge consolidation of influence in big tech. And the question remains, which is what we're going to talk about on this show is, should it be regulated? How should it be regulated? Um, and who would regulate it? You know, And I think that my top line takeaway as we go into this discussion further is that the internet itself is not universal across the entire world. Even though the technology might be very similar or very close to the same, the way the internet is administered is very different in Europe than it is in the United States, than it is in South America, than it is in China. Yeah, and that can be twofold. That can be government intervention. That could also be technology based. Like, so, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the Bahamas where your best internet available is 3G. That's going to change some of your communications. But before we get to the world, I want to get to the US. And Simon, you've heard me talk about this a lot of times, but I have a family background in the ladder and scaffolding industry. And ladders and scaffold are regulated by OSHA. OSHA is essentially an industry consortium where everyone from the industry sends a representative and they talk about it. They say, okay, your stepladder, if, if, uh, if it's going to be rated for 250 pounds, it has to take 1,000 pounds of force. And if it's going to be rated for 300, it has to take 12. And, and they agree upon that. And that doesn't become law. But in most states, it's treated like law. That's actually how I would like to see big tech regulate. I'm not saying, and I bring this up because I think the FCC, which is a government example of regulation in a related space, I think it's done a pretty terrible job. I think we can go back to sort of how Howard Stern was treated in the 80s and the 90s and sort of the, the inconsistencies of what you could and couldn't say on television and when certain things were allowed and when they weren't. I'd rather see the industry get together and let, let's take it to TV. If TV said, okay, here's the deal. We are not going to show any nudity at, until after 10 o'clock and here's what the guideline is. Like That's an area where I think you can self-regulate. And I think the same thing is true. If you had an independent panel that agreed upon, okay, it is not okay to incite violence on a social media platform and then some sort of industry-related standards and tribunal to figure out if you've done that and what the consequences are. It doesn't solve every problem, but you watch the congressional hearings. Basically, you had, you know, 80-year-old men asking about face place and tweet book. Like it was not, <laughs> it was not good. So I, I propose, and I'll, I'll head it up if you ask, uh, the, the OSHA for the internet that could at least solve 75, 85% of the problem. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're not. That's actually what we're seeing take place in America right now, at least. You know, And you mentioned the FCC, but also Department of Justice put the ball in the court of social media platforms to self-police and monitor their own site based on their own policies. Right. So we have to distinguish between what is illegal and what is against the policy of those companies themselves. And so Facebook and Twitter taking Trump off of their sites, that is a policy of those platforms. Uh, shutting down Parler from cloud computing on, on AWS, that is an AWS policy that they're not following. But still, those policies are very, very important. Right. If you're building software in the cloud right now, you need to have Amazon, Google or Microsoft as your cloud provider. Or the, the big three are, are really disproportionately the largest part of this market right now. Same with social media. If you're trying to advertise digitally, you're probably using Google and Facebook right now. And so while we're always looking at oh, regulators need to make this and this illegal or, you know, there needs to be some kind of way of of regulating it. Your point, Dan, about maybe it should be self-regulated with a consortium of agreements between these large companies that are now together $5 trillion of market cap of saying what is okay and what's not okay. 
Uh, my point is for investors, the influence that those companies have right now is is very, very large. It, it's it's government-like. I mean, look, we're a startup business uh, here at 7investing, and we strive very hard to make sure everything we do is ethical. It follows, you know, we're not SEC regulated, but it follows all the rules that that you would need to follow, that we disclose what we own or what our interests are in. But if Google decided... I don't like seven investing uh, because some algorithm tells them that the number seven is is lucky in some cultures and where and, and we're promoting luck in the stock. I'm just making this up, but they could disappear us. And Twitter could do the same thing and decide that, you know what, we only want the voices that have millions of followers, not the ones that have tens of thousands. So there's a lot of power in these companies. And the challenge, uh, and then we're going to talk about, about the global stage, the challenge here is that a lot of what they're regulating is intent. And we all know that, that you know, everyone agrees upon you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Could but there's other things we're not sure what you could yell. There's other situations. You know, if I get online and I say, I believe the mole people have a conspiracy to control the stock market, and I believe that, and that's my my thought, you probably can't ban me. If I say I have indisputable proof that the mole people control the stock market, I'm trying to be as silly as I possibly can, that becomes gray area. But this is not easy territory, Simon. I mean, you have to make calls all the time about what you want us to say or not say, and, and it's always a debate. Yeah. And again, you mentioned internationally, this is a very regional issue. You know, everything we've talked about thus far has been United States specific, but let's look at some other regions of the globe as well, right? Alibaba goes out and builds out a lot of infrastructure for cloud computing, for their own e-commerce platform, a lot of the building blocks of the internet, and they became huge. They became the largest e-commerce site in China. And then they wanted to spin off Ant Financial into its own separate arm and IPO it a couple of months ago. Government said, no, we don't appreciate some of the stances that you have on our regulations as a government. And so now we think that the company is, is worth half of what it's before uh, was intended to be at the IPO because of the new regulations on how much money um, Alibaba, I'm sorry, that Ant Financial would have to hold on the balance sheet rather than just being the tech middleman. Right. And let's look at other regions. I mean, South yeah, America. And, 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 and let me let me jump in there, Simon. This is also one of those cases where the government didn't want and financial to have that much power. And that is a problem even in democratic societies, when in some ways you could argue Twitter, Google, Facebook, Amazon, they are sometimes more powerful than the government when it comes to certain things. Now, you could have made that argument about television. You know, Johnny Carson was probably more, more important in his day or Walter Cronkite uh, than any one person is now. But this is really, really tricky on a ton of levels. But there's still the long-term risk that will always remain for these companies, right? You can, you can, you can integrate your supply chain. You can go out and if you're Amazon, you can buy planes from Boeing because you want to do air, air travel more efficiently and more quickly. Uh, if you're a Mercado Libre in South America, you can go out and build out a logistics infrastructure and a payments infrastructure to, to deal with multiple countries. But still, Mercado Libre loses and writes down its assets in Venezuela because it got seized by the government out there. That's a long tail risk that something like that can always happen. You know, Chinese government can come in one week before the IPO of Ant Financial and say, hey, this is something that is an absolute sticking point for us. And I, I guess that I'm, I'm torn between, I want to say that tech companies have a huge influence, $5, billion, $5 trillion of market cap, but that's still a very US-centric view. You know, if those companies were trying to do the same things in America that they were in other countries, no way, Jose, 
You know, that's going to be a very different discussion. And I think that investors, especially as we start looking at other countries, need to be aware of the cultural climate and also the government regulations that are taking place and how that could play out if, if things don't go as well as expected. Yeah, and there's also an operating challenge in being under different rules in different places. You know, if if Facebook has to operate one way in in a major market in India, let's say, and a different way in China or the U.S., that becomes very very tricky. As investors, Simon, how concerned are you by? Let's call it the bipartisan support. I think some of it's unfounded. Uh, on on one side, they sort of want to do it for one reason. On the other, it's more about the the size and control issues. Uh, but that being said, do you think we're going to see Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, any of these get broken up? No, I, I don't. I think that um, we can use what's happened in Europe as kind of a a guide for what might be happening in the United States, at least seems uh, recently to be following. You've got uh, GDPR that, you know, in Europe was saying, hey, you've got to disclose how information is being used. And if you don't, we're going to impose a 10% of your revenue penalty, right? And so what do all companies do? And now you've got just the, the sidebar or the, the bottom footer that's saying, hey, we're going to be putting cookies to track your, your behavior on this site. Uh, companies adapt to that, right? And the U.S. is adapting to that too. I think that the largest platforms, in my opinion, as an investor in America, uh, aren't getting broken up by this. I think that they're evolving from this and it doesn't change my long-term investing thesis on them, but I do think that it's it's changing my investment thesis for perhaps the software as a service, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, the companies that are building upon that infrastructure, uh, because it definitely directly impacts them. You're watching Seven Investing now. Simon, I'm going to make a couple of changes to the program here. We are going to skip the home stretch. We'll punt that. It's kind of an evergreen one. It's related to this, but we'll punt that into next week or the next time you and I are on together because we we, we did already write it out. Uh, but I see some questions, and I see one from Gregory Spear here that I sort of want to use to touch off on a bigger topic. It's uh, Twitter gets 6,000 posts a second. How can they possibly be expected to regulate the content of every one of those tweets? I'm going to go first on this one. A lot of this you can do with AI. It doesn't have to be people. Uh, the second part is, of those 6,000 tweets, how many of them are from people that have any sort of following? The vast majority of Twitter is driven by a relatively small amount of people. So it isn't the person tweeting to his seven followers or no followers or whatever it is. It is the giant, you know, you know, Gene Simmons comes on and 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 tweets that uh, there's a monster under your bed and everyone freaks out, like or, or whatever it is. I'm trying again, trying to be very silly to to not pick. You know, Carrot Top tweets out his recipe for getting huge, and it, it contains three things that are illegal. Like you can do a lot of this top down. Like I hate to say, but like if you're following, you know, FinTwit, it's easy to know the couple of hundred voices, maybe a thousand. It's not even that many that that are driving opinion, and you could see who's lying, who's pumping and dumping, who's doing things that are, there's a lot that be, can be done. There can also be, let's call it self-regulation and moderation. I know FinTwit, you kind of get kicked out if you're a jerk. And I, and I just mean that like people just stop paying attention to you and it's kind of a community. Doesn't completely work, but back when I was in late 90s, when I was at uproad.com, we had online bingo and all sorts of other things with chat. We had plenty of people who were just volunteer moderators to keep it going the way it was going. But Simon, do you agree with me that this should be self-regulated or do you feel that there should be an FCC-like regulation? 
Um, I, I think that I lean more towards self-regulation on this one. And this is an excellent question, Gregory. I mean, the massive scale, these are gargantuan platforms. This is why Jack Dorsey goes and meditates, you know, by himself to try to figure out these bigger, bigger picture implications of what something like Twitter is doing. Um, if, if it were to be centrally regulated and some central authority like what Europe is trying to do, uh, this is going to be an impossible task, I believe. You know, if you want to have some central authority saying, we're going to monitor every one of these tweets and we're going to tell you what is okay and what is not okay, I mean, you're creating billions of man hours of, of trying to police this. Uh, versus the power law could be the other way of doing this, where, like you said, Gene Simmons is, is tweeting about monsters under the bed and Carrot Top's talking about something illegal about how to get huge. Um, you, you go after the biggest users, of the largest followings that are hitting the most number of impressions on the platform. And that is kind of how Twitter works today. It's the same way that Facebook works today. It's the power law. The largest users with the largest following are going to be spreading the most influence across the whole platform. And so if there is a self-policing um, agreement of these sites, Dan, as you're suggesting, you know, that's kind of the uh, the low hanging fruit of making sure that that is abiding by those policies, whatever they might be for each one of those sites individually. You can see Carrot Top nightly, I believe, at the Luxor if you happen to be in Las Vegas. The man is terrifying. And of course, our thank you as always to Gene Simmons, who I interviewed once, and he's an unbelievable jerk. Um, is Carrot Top uh, huge now? You're, he is. Yeah, you're, Carrot, yeah, yeah, Carrot Top is, is super jacked, and it just I makes wonder, no okay. sense. It doesn't fit his comedy at all. Okay, we're getting off the rails here. We're getting a little bit silly. This is one of those things that we're going to be talking about this a lot. And again, it's not the any one person. It is the bigger question. And we're going to finish up talking about the app store. So I hate that I have to use a political app as an example, but Parler is the one that it just happened to. And this is obviously, it's not directly political, but it is in the political space. That's why it's getting kicked off. Should Apple and Google be able to keep you out of their ecosystem if they if you don't meet their rules and those rules could be financial there have been issues with uh, people not wanting to pay apple 30 percent google it's not a hundred percent because there are sideways ways to get into the google ecosystem if you're not through the store it's not as convenient but you can download those apps to your phone or to your device you cannot unless you have a broken apple device which violates all sorts of terms and warranties and things so don't do that uh simon do you think they should be allowed to do that Yes, of course. Uh, it's app, uh, the App Store is a distribution platform that is available for any business. It's not necessary for your business. You can try to go do it on your own, uh, but Apple's going to take 30% uh, for, the, for the benefit of having the distribution that you get through the App Store or through the Google Store or you know these mega platforms where everybody finds apps now. And we've seen some pushback, right, from uh, Chinese game makers, uh, Netflix, this is a hot topic for them, of, of how much are you going to pay Apple versus doing it by yourself. This would be, in my opinion, the same bucket as the financial bucket of if they have rules you don't want to follow, uh, go out and do it yourself. But if you want to use that as a platform where millions of people are downloading apps every single day, uh, you've got to you've got to abide by the terms and conditions that they set forth. Yeah, and I'll give a practical example. If we someday launch a seven investing app and one of the options is to subscribe through that app, there's a free component and a subscribe component, Apple or Google are going to take a piece of that. I actually think what Google is doing is maybe a little more ethical than what Apple is doing because Google allows you 
to, to have a screen icon to make a decision on your own to download something. And that's not always something nefarious. That might be like your friend puts up the itinerary for your bachelor party weekend and, and, and makes an easy way to download it. it. You can put that on that phone, on your Google phone, on, on your Android phone. Apple allows no backdoor way to do that. And it's tricky because it's not all that easy to get an app into the app store as an individual person. Some of those requirements are technical, but some of those requirements are also, I don't want to say arbitrary, but a little bit squishy if you're not a big time developer. So I would like to see a way for me of my choosing to knowingly say, I want this on my phone, even though it's something that isn't something they approve, I think that would be okay. And maybe there could be some sort of virus check or something uh, in the, you know, in the phone to make sure you're not, you know, hurting yourself. But we're going to close this conversation for now. This is going to come up a lot more times. Feel free to email us info at seveninvesting.com. Your questions related to this space. It's one, we'll probably do a whole show just taking questions. Uh, And you can also hit us at seven investing on Twitter. Simon, it's been a long show. Before we finish, let's do a quick recap. We have partnered with CryptoEQ. If you go to CryptoEQ.io and use the code 7investing, that is the number 7, not the letter 7, the number 7, investing. As the code, you will get $10 off. Simon, do you know what they charge per month? I meant to ask Spence that question. Right around the same price point, $200 a year. uh, So broken down by a month, right around the same price point is where where we are, 7investing, yep. So that is great. You'll get $10 off if you use the code. Let's hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, share I, the I graphic. I might have oh. on that. Dan, I might have to actually take that back. It might be $20 a month, and I rounded down rather than up the other way. So I, I, maybe I should say $20 a month is the price point without confirming what Spencer's uh, annual option is worth. Either way, not overly expensive. Sam Bailey, hit us with the finisher here. Which non-tech category are you most interested in learning more about? Overwhelmingly, 49.3% said biotech. Simon, that's lucky because why don't you talk a little bit about our biotech experts? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Great to see the interest in this topic, which I share as well. Uh, Our advisors, Manisha Sammy and Max Chatsko this week, are really digging into what's taking place at the JP Morgan conference out in San Francisco. Previously in San Francisco, it's remote uh, this year because of COVID, but this is kind of one of the biggest biotechnology conferences where there's announcements, there's partnerships being shared, there's developments in the field. I personally think biotechnology is one of the most inefficiently priced sectors of the stock market. And what I mean by that is when you see some price targets out there, you see a, a flood of analysts that are following a company, there's a very efficient market. It's hard to buy Walmart and it's going to go up 200% in the next year because you got so many people following it and dissecting its cash flows and its revenue growth and all of that thing. Not true in biotechnology. This is a, a new frontier. Uh, and when you look at things like CRISPR and CAR-T and all of the cool stuff going on in these fields, they are not understood by large fund uh, owners or by Wall Street sell-side analysts yet. Um, I think that we're getting there and there's more and more efficiency every day. But I think right now there's a lot of opportunity where you could see some of these companies increase 100%, 200% a year because they still have such small market caps. Um, I'll stop there. I could probably talk for 20 more minutes about this, Dan, but it's a pretty exciting sector in my opinion. So a couple of programming notes as we close out the show. First of all, the Tuesday podcast is going to be extended conversation with Spencer from Crypto EQ. Simon's going to sit down and interview him today. He's going to get some of your questions in. We're going to be doing a show on Wednesday. We're going to be doing a show on Friday. 
The markets are closed next Monday. It is Martin Luther King Day. We will not be doing a show on that day. Um, we're going to take the day off. It's something we very rarely do. Oh, Knowing us, we're all going to work and we're going to all talk on Slack all day anyway, but we're going to do it from beside the pool or, or most of the country's too cold for that. So it's not going to work. But that is the Monday edition of seven investing. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of us, we've t- talked about this before. It is info at seveninvesting.com or at seven. That is the number seven investing on Twitter. We will get back to you quickly. We are all active on the platform. For Simon Erickson, I am Dan Klein. That was a hell of a show. We will see you on Wednesday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.